What is going on, Breakthrough Success listeners? Mark Berry here, and in this episode, we are going to talk about achieving sustainable and healthy weight loss. Now, the reason that we are talking about this topic is this guest who I'll be introducing shortly, we actually met at the virtual New Media Summit. I brought on a lot of guests who we meet at the in-person, and that's how we get started. But because of what's going on, there was a virtual New Media Summit. I met this guy. And it's not like the conventional stuff. It's really like easier to apply. So we'll just be talking a little bit about this and just maintaining great health because I know it's a, uh, something a lot of people want to hone in on. So our guest who joins us in this episode is the founder of Live Your Way Then, which is an online and offline personal training and coaching company. He is also the author of three books, including his latest, Fat No More, which helps readers lose weight so it stays off forever. Our guest who joins us in this episode is none other than Stavros Mastrogianis. Stavros, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mark. Um, uh, my pleasure and my uh, honor to invite me on your show. Uh, I think you have a great show, by the way. Stavros, it is a pleasure to have you on Breakthrough Success. And for the, I'm wondering if we could just start off talking about your philosophy and just how you got started on your path. Because I know it's uh, like you looked at the way that like ancient Greeks uh, yes. approached this. So I'm very interested in that. Well, I'm probably one of the few fitness professionals that doesn't love fitness. I actually got into the fitness field very differently. You see, most fitness professionals who get into the fitness field get into the love exercising, the love fitness, the love looking good on the beach, you know, which is great. Nothing wrong with that. I got it. I had a very different path. I also have a degree in culinary arts. So back in 1990s, you know, I was like around, I think, 18 or something. I always tried to get in shape myself, you know, to look good for the, you know, on the beach, like every guy. And I kept doing these workouts and I could never stick with them. I would do them for a couple of months. I would fall off. A couple of months, fall off. I would try to talk to different personal trainers, coaches, and their advice I could not apply. So I started thinking, wait a minute, some, these people don't understand people like me who don't love fitness. And that's, by the way, how I end up getting into the fitness field because I saw there is a need for a uh, fitness uh, professional who understands people who, who want to be in shape but don't love the process of getting in shape. And that's why I became expert up. And the first thing I noticed when I first got into the field, the fact that, uh, I don't know if you know the statistics, like 95% of the people who lose weight end up gaining the weight back. And the funny part is, when I was, you know, when I got into the fitness field, I got my certifications, you know, all my education. Uh, I would talk to all the fitness professionals and I would, you know, we'll talk about it. You know, why, why do you think so many people gain the weight back? And the answer that I will always get would be something like, well, people don't have the priorities straight. They don't know what's good for them or they're lazy or, and was always blaming the individual and never the program. So as I start doing more and more research, I, I start questioning the logic. Are you telling me that 95% of the population is lazy and don't really want to get in shape? What's the chance of that happening? 95%, I could understand if it was like 10%, 20%, okay. And I started doing a lot of research. And the, well, I gotta say my mother was a big help on this, by the way, because I remember in school, we learned like breakfast, the most important meal of the day. And I was talking to my mother about it. And my mother's like, 
in Greece, because by the way, I was raised in Greece. He goes, in Greece, did you eat breakfast? I'm like, not really. And in Greece, when I lived there, thin and healthy was the norm. Cancer was a rare disease. Uh, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's were diseases I never even heard of. And nobody ate breakfast. Like kids once in a while might have breakfast, but adults, nobody ate breakfast. So I start questioning things that I had learned in school about fitness and health because they contradicted the way I was raised in Greece. And that's how my whole system started. And that's why I took a very different path than pretty much everybody else because my upbringing caused me to question a lot of the things I was learning in school. And then on top of that, when I realized that uh, back, back in 1992, when I got into the fitness field, at that time, at that uh, year, we spent $30 billion on weight loss products and services. That year, the average weight in America went up, I think, a couple of pounds. Today, we're spending over $65 billion a year on weight loss products and services. And our weight has almost, uh, I think obesity went from 12.6% to over 36% today. And overweight rate went from 50% in 92 to over, I think, like 75% today. Isn't it pretty obvious? Something is wrong. And that's what helped me support my ideas that something's wrong here. And that's how it took a very different path than everybody else. And I mean, if you look at those numbers, it's like, oh, well, people are spending more to figure out, you know, how do I trim down the weight? But then you look at statistics and you're like, wait, there's a spike up here. So there's something that there's definitely a correlation that you don't want to see that it, it shouldn't be there, but it is there based on what Stavros is telling us. And it's very interesting. You mentioned a no breakfast because breakfast is like a staple for a lot of people. And, you know, I always wake up, I go by the breakfast model. I'm wondering if you could talk us a little bit into your thoughts on that. And also just some of the other stuff that you saw people do differently uh, that maybe we could carry over. Yeah. Well, my overall philosophy, I mean, the, 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 well, once I start realizing this, a lot of things are wrong, you know, I started looking at, okay, what habits do uh, healthy regions have in common? And I start realizing this whole bunch of healthy behaviors that all regions have in common, but unfortunately, I wasn't finding a lot of diets and nutritionists and fitness professionals teaching here. For example, did you know like uh, all healthy regions around the world don't eat breakfast. Breakfast is not a main meal. Sometimes, by the way, they do eat something small. I'm not saying nobody ever ate it, but it, it wasn't something that was eaten regularly. Here we ate breakfast regularly. In, uh, in Greece and other healthy regions, people ate less often. You know, are you familiar with something like the, the 16, eight, like we, we go for 16 hours without eating and then eight hours eating? Oh, uh, like, like the body uh, recovers itself. Yes. So you need, in other words, if you look at all healthy regions, they take long breaks without food. That's essential for health. The body needs food, but also the body needs a break from food. It's no different than exercising. What would happen if you're exercising constantly every single day for hours at a time? You, yes, exercising is good for you, but too much exercising is bad for you. Well, same thing with food. Yes, you do need to eat certain foods, but you also need a break from food, because that's how the body detoxifies, recovers, gets rid of a lot of uh, like misfolded proteins, uh, mutated cells, uh, uh, dysfunctional cells, 
all those things create problems for the body. By taking regular breaks from food, you get rid of them. And by not eating breakfast, it gives you the six an hour break because let's say you ate dinner, I don't know, seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night, and then you're eating until the next day at lunchtime, that's your 16, 17 hours without food. And again, doesn't mean you can never eat breakfast because honestly, I eat breakfast with a family on Sundays every, you know, I would say most of the Sundays. So I don't promote perfectionism either. That's actually another bad thing. But overall though, even if you teach all the right habits, and basically I came up with seven, what I call them essential habits that people need to have for a lean and healthy body. But even if you know those seven habits, you're still, you're not going to achieve sustainable weight loss because yes, there are some uh, weight loss programs out there that teach stuff that's not exactly correct, but there's a lot of good weight loss programs and diet programs that teach all the right things. And yet they still fail when it comes to sustainable weight loss. And here's why. I don't know, are you, from, uh, are you uh, uh, a Bruce Lee fan? A what fan? Bruce Lee, you remember Bruce Lee? Ah, Bruce Lee, I, yes. I, yeah. The famous martial artist, but he's also a philosopher. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. He's also a philosopher. He wasn't just a martial artist. And here's this quote. I want to actually read it because I think he gives the answer. He says, knowing is not enough. We must apply. Willing is not enough. We must do. Now, here's the problem. Most weight loss programs, actually, let me take a step back. The sustainable solution to the weight problem has two parts. Part one is knowing what healthy habits do you need to engage in in order to lose weight and be in shape. Second part is knowing how to apply those habits into your life without burning out. And that's a part, unfortunately, very few uh, diets and fitness professionals talk about. And I personally believe the reason uh, they don't talk about it too much is that they, ask, they make one wrong assumption. They assume that once people see results, they'll be motivated to keep going. I don't know if you ever heard that. Oh, once you see results, aren't you going to feel good? I mean, I don't know if you, if you ever uh, heard that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? And what happens is uh, they don't realize, though, that the best results in the world will not keep anyone motivated if the results were achieved through a method that's overwhelming. And the simple fact is, the way that most weight loss programs approach weight loss, it's overwhelming for most people. So what happens? They end up burning out, regardless of the results. And I talk from personal experience because I remember myself when I first started getting into fitness, I would do these crazy workouts I, I, and I would motivate myself to do it for like months at a time. I would get great results and then I would burn out and I would stop and I would stop. <laughs> and that kept, kept going. And that's what happens to most people. Well, 95% of the people, they lose weight, gain it back. Now, have you ever, ever uh, heard of the saying that if you want to achieve something, file, uh, find somebody who has already achieved that something that you want yeah. and follow their example, right? I mean, sounds like sound advice, which it is, but not always. In the fitness industry, you got to be careful whose advice you're following or whose example, I should say, you're following. Most people find that 5% of the, of the people who are able to keep their weight off and try to follow their example. Well, here's the problem. Most of those 5%, 
they've made their life all about fitness. You know, I don't know if you know any of those kind of people. You know, I know quite a few. You know, you go to a restaurant, they have to call ahead, they have to make sure they have all the special foods that they eat, or they have to know how many calories in the meal. So they, you know, if it's a chain, they have to go on the website, find out, you know, what calories are in the food. That's no fun. And all their free time is spent working out. I'm sorry, but I don't live to exercise. I exercise to live. And if my life becomes all about fitness, what's fun about that? But the 5% love the fitness, which again, that's your choice. Nothing wrong with that. To me, a, better, a much, much better example to follow is healthy regions. Like when I lived in Greece. In Greece, we didn't even have, by the way, when I lived there, we didn't even have a gym. Now, by the way, we have three gyms and 50% of the population is overweight. I find it kind of funny though. No gyms, everybody's thin. We have gyms, everybody's over, well, not everybody, but a huge percentage of us. So what is the difference? So in Greece, when we lived there, nobody worried about the calories, what they ate, or exercising. And yet, everybody was thin and healthy. So how did they do it? Simple. All the behaviors that kept us in shape were habitual behaviors, which means they didn't have to think. We didn't have to think. We ate the way we ate, not because we want to be healthy. We ate because that's what we traditionally ate. In Greece, traditionally, we walked a lot. And it's kind of a funny story because when you go out for dinner in the summertime, all the restaurants are outside by the ocean. We didn't just go out and sit down and ate. We walked back and forth for like 30, 40 minutes, like just casual walk and chatting and talking and meeting people. But that was a tradition. So our tradition wasn't because we wanted to be healthy, because walking is good for you. It was because something we did. Actually, I asked my mother about it. He goes, how did tradition start it? And he goes, it has a lot to do with meeting people too. So let's say you had a daughter and I had a son or whatever. We walk back and forth and we check out other daughters and son and try to do some matchmaking. And that's how a lot of times how people met. Anyway, so the bottom line though is it's our habitual behavior is what kept us in shape. Look at the current methods of weight loss. They don't teach habits. They don't teach how to develop new habits. And to me, that was the key that made my program uh, able to help people lose weight and keep it off. Because what I did was I took those seven habits I discovered to have the biggest effect on weight loss and health. And uh, I, I based have you ever heard of the Kaizen method? Yes, yes, I have heard okay. of that. Kaizen method, it's a method of how to apply change. And I know one of the most famous companies who, that used the method was Toyota. In, I think it was 1949, Toyota went from a company going bankrupt to one of the most successful car companies in the world using the Kaizen method. And the Kaizen method is a very simple system of how to apply change, one tiny little step at a time. And those little steps add up. Well, I applied the same method on my program. Actually, I got to tell you a funny story about flossing. Do you floss regularly, Mark, by the way? <laughs> uh, on occasion. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you a funny story about that. I had the same problem. I couldn't floss regularly. My dentist, by the way, was also my client here. So every time he would see me, are you flossing, Stavro? Are you flossing? And of course, most of the time was no. And when I would go for my regular cleanup, he, you know, he would tell me that I'm not flossing enough. He would tell me all the reasons why I should be flossing, like I did not know them. And I would get motivated. I would floss for a couple of weeks and then fall off the wagon. 
And that continued for basically years. And that's what I started getting aggravated with myself. I'm like, I'm trying to get my clients to exercise regularly. I can't even get myself to freaking floss. And how long does it take to floss? A couple of minutes. And that's, by the way, where I discovered the Kaizen method. Because I start analyzing, okay, what can I do to develop a simple habit? And the advice was, break it down to the smallest step possible. So I start flossing one tooth every night. One tooth, up, down, done. I told my dentist what I was doing. And his reaction was, you're not flossing. You only one tooth, that's nothing. I said, George, you're missing the point. I'm not trying to floss. I'm trying to develop the habit of picking up the string every night. By making the action so small, it was easy for me to repeat it even when I got home late and I was tired. And what happened was it took me a couple of months and I found myself flossing more and more teeth. And within two or three months, I was flossing every single tooth. It's been over 10 years now. I've been flossing every, every day. Wow. It's like now it's a habit. Well, I applied the same philosophy on diet and exercising. We take, like, give you an example. Walking. You know, walking, the easiest thing to do. And yet, most people don't do it regularly. Why? Because if you look at a lot of the fitness professionals, again, they mean well, by the way. I don't mean to pick on them, but I'm just, I know they mean well. But I think they, because they love fitness, they don't understand the average person who does not. Anyway, so the recommendation is for aerobics to do at least 20, 30 minutes of cardio three times a week. That's the typical recommendation. My recommendation to my clients is one minute, three to five times a week. One minute. And usually the reaction I get, what the heck would one minute do? Well, it's not going to do much. But if I gave you the homework, can you come back to me next week and tell me I didn't find one minute to walk? Seriously, right? You couldn't. But what happens is, once, let's say every morning you get up and you walk for a minute. What is the chance of you stopping after a minute? You might walk two minutes, might walk three minutes. But what happens, it becomes a routine of walking. And then that little action becomes a bigger action, a bigger action. And before you know it, walking is second nature to you. Same thing with exercising. The way I was able to finally develop the exercise habit was really simple. My, my routine, by the way, which is still on the short side, it doesn't take more than 30 minutes, is made up, uh, I think like uh, nine exercises. But only three of the nine exercises are, I call them must-do exercises, and the rest of them are optional. This way, if a day I don't feel like exercising, I say to myself, ah, there's only three exercises, let me just do them, it only takes me five minutes, I do them. But guess what? 90% of the time I end up doing everything else anyway. Because the hardest part is getting go, you know, get started. But once you get started, it's easy to keep going. But if you say to yourself that, oh, I must do all nine exercises and then one day you get home and you're mm-hmm. tired, what is the chance of you doing it? Not very good. And that's how my whole system was developed. And now my clients have a very... Number one, the program is really easy because I introduce things really slowly, one habit at a time. Because we create new habitual behaviors, it's easy for people to maintain the results. Because the bottom line is this. If you want permanent results, well, you got to make permanent changes in your habitual behaviors. And the best way to do that, I would say not the best way, the only way, is to make the changes small, and one behavior at a time. Mm-hmm. And that's why I work the seven habits. We start working on number one, and then we'll go to number two, and then we'll go to number three, but we don't move to the next habit until the first one. It's second nature to the person. 
And I love the small buildup. Like I can think about that with the flossing because it's something that a lot of people do not do. But if you think of it just one tooth, I mean, it definitely builds up to the point where you've got no problem doing it every yeah. single day. So I, I see how the logic works. I'm wondering if we just do a quick overview of these seven essential habits, just so oh, people sure. have an idea of like what steps to take. The first one is develop the right mindset for sustainable weight loss. It's all psychology, by the way, because you got to change the way you think before you can change the way you act. And what I mean by the way you think, you have to develop the, what I call the uh, accept what is and work from there. In other words, let's say uh, you were trying to work on um, cutting, getting, cutting down junk food, for, for example, okay? And let's say, because my rule on junk food is Monday to Friday, no junk food on the weekend, I can have it. And let's say you had some junk food during the week, okay? Most people beat themselves up and they say to themselves, oh, what's wrong with me? I can't do this. And they give up. The right mindset would be to say to yourself, okay, I gave in. What can I learn from this so I can do better next time? So the right mindset is when you don't do what you're supposed to do, don't beat yourself up. You're human after all. What can I do better next time so I don't give in? So that's the first step, the first habit. Second one is the exercise habit. Okay, that's step the, uh, that includes cardio and lifting. But here's, uh, I don't know if you know this, but did you know like the, the vast majority of the benefits from weight training come from the first set? So why bother doing three sets if you can get away with one set? And the only difference with the second and third set, by the way, has more to do with adding muscle to your frame than it has to do with strength. Strength-wise, one set will do the trick. And if your goal is only to lose weight and tone up and be healthy, one set does a trick. So you can do a weight training routine in 15 minutes. And cardio, again, same thing. Walking does the trick. The next habit is this, I call it the 16-hour habit. In other words, allow your body to go for 16 hours or longer without eating. By the way, a coffee, it's okay. Let's not go crazy here. <laughs> or a tea, we're good. And again, that's where the idea... Oh, and by the way, that all the rules I tell my clients to apply Monday to Friday, relax on the weekends. You don't need to be perfect. Um, so that's, okay, that's the third one. The fourth one is learn to eat out of true hunger and no more than twice uh, a day. Again, Monday to Friday. Okay, so learn to, uh, to ask yourself before you eat, am I hungry or am I eating because it's lunchtime? Has it ever happened to you where you're so busy and you look up in the clock, it's three o'clock and you forgot to eat lunch, right? Yeah. Well, that, that means that you're not truly hungry then. And, or other times I know my clients that tell me that they're working really hard and they look at the clock, oh, one o'clock, oh, I gotta go eat. Well, are you hungry or are you eating because the clock said it? Mm -hmm. So that's what we teach on that habit is, is how to tell true hunger compared to a craving. And, and by the way, here's a quick tip and how to tell if you're truly hungry or you're having a craving. Ask yourself, would I be able to indulge in a piece of stale bread? If the answer is no, I want something else, you're not hungry then. Because true hunger, you want to eat anything. Or another one, like you know, after dinner, where after an hour you go to your kitchen, you go through the cabinet looking for something uh, to eat. Ask yourself, would I be able to go back and continue eating what I had for dinner? If the answer is no, I'm sorry, but you're not hungry. And that's the thing that we teach is how to apply those habits. The next one is uh, 
eat to learn to eat slowly and mindfully and stop eating when you satisfy your hunger easier said than done i know that you know but again because and you know what the the main benefit of eating slow and mindful is all the all the studies ever done in slow and mindful eating people automatically end up eating less food without, without even trying and here's why when do you get pleasure from food right when your food is in your mouth that's when you get the actual pleasure now by eating slowly and mindfully that means each bite of food spends more time in your mouth which means you get more pleasure out of each bite which means you get more pleasure overall from the same amount of food and it because it takes around 20 minutes for your brain to get the message that you're full by slowing down you actually give your brain a chance to get the message hey you're full stop eating and the, the the part of the same habit is stop eating when you satisfy your hunger but the question is how do you know when you satisfy your hunger and by the way it's not that your plate is empty that's actually a fallacy <laughs> a lot of people eat all everything until your plate is empty no 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 because remember unless you serve yourself most of the time if you go to a restaurant somebody else served you how do they know how much you need to eat so the way you can tell is by the taste is you'll notice that the first bite of food always tastes the best at one point you'll notice the food no longer tastes as good but if you're not eating slowly and mindfully you're not going to notice that by the way so it doesn't matter that's when you need to stop eating i don't care how much food is on your plate the one rule that i tell my clients to apply is if you're serving yourself put on your plate half of the food that you think that you can eat you can always get up and get more but the tendency is if we put it on my plate we want to eat it especially if you're at somebody's house you know you feel bad throwing food away and that again that's the stuff that we work with our clients to help them develop this habit the next one my favorite one is make junk food special notice i didn't say eliminate junk food because let's be honest here if junk food was that easy to get rid of junk food companies would be out of business so mark what's your favorite junk food <laughs> oh, don't like, tell me you don't eat junk food, do you? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, cookies time to time. Yeah, but not me, a, I love, what? It's not like a super common thing, yeah. but you know, when they're there, they're gone. Yeah. See, on junk food, I, I, I'm a big, I, I used to be a huge junk food eater. And I still eat my junk food, by the way. But what I did was I made them special. Because my first attempt to get rid of, get rid of junk food, actually, I got to give credit to my wife on this one because i am a thin person and i can get away eating more crap than other people that not not good food actually i should say uh i used to eat junk food every day so one day my wife says to me don't you feel like a hypocrite a little bit i'm like what do you mean are you telling your clients to stop eating junk food and look at you and i'm like that's a very good point so that's when i had learned about the kaizen method it was like years ago and i'm like let me see if i can apply kaizen and junk food so my first attempt to get rid of junk food was to get rid of it from my house. So I took all the junk food out. What happened was if I felt miserably because I would go to my mother's house and my mother kept devil dogs, one of my favorite things. <laughs> and I wouldn't just eat one devil dog, I would eat the whole freaking box because it was there. And that's when I realized that I have to learn to control me, not my environment, because my environment is not always under my control. So what I did was I kept junk food in my house and I made the rule. Monday through Friday, no more junk food. Friday after 5 p.m. on the weekend, I can have all the junk food I want. 
You know what happened was over time, even on the weekends, now I can have one devil dog every other week. Not a big deal. But because I can have it every weekend, it's not as a big deal anymore. Because remember, it's in human nature to want what we can't have. So if I tell you, Mark, no more, I don't know, chocolate, whatever you like, it's, gonna, it's like telling you, you want chocolate. And that's what happens to most people, by the way, with cravings is that cravings come when something that you cannot have. And the last habit, it's to reduce the, uh, sorry, to increase the amount of food. I'd say at least four servings. I mean, I know five is even better, but again, I'm trying to be realistic. So my rule is try to have at least four servings of fruits and vegetables, in total, by the way, four per day, which is a simple rule, you know, easy to apply. And again, to, uh, for a lot of my clients, I give actually, I have, because I also have a degree in culinary arts. So I give out recipes to, I mean, I don't know if you know much about Mediterranean cooking, but um, my favorite, by the way. And a lot of the Mediterranean cooking is actually vegan. So to me, eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, I, I actually prefer it in many ways. By the way, I do like my steak too. Nothing wrong with the steak. But we're just having way too much steaks lately, you know. And that's, these are the seven habits that we apply. That is a really great breakdown. And I love how it's everything from what to eat to just gradual stuff, like dipping your toe in the water instead of going for the dive. And really approaching it based on human nature rather than just trying to force yourself into a box and hoping that will work. The one thing I do want to add, though, is I don't know if you've heard about, I've read, um, I think it was Tools of Titans, Tim Ferriss's book. And one of the things was like, don't eat for 24 hours. So I tried that. The only thing I had, and let me know if this is good. Like I had smoothies. We'll talk about that later if that's like a good yeah. thing that, okay, sweet. But towards the end of that stretch, and I know 24 hours is more than the 16. And also since we're including the rest, how do you have the energy during that stretch to do things like work for me, running and other stuff like that? I feel like that would be the only drawback okay. to the 16 hour actually you'd be surprised because i personally eat once a day that's it so i actually do 24 hours but wow. but i teach let me explain because when i say to people i only eat once a day that i get the reaction we mean only once a day i don't want to do that and I mean, right now i haven't eaten since last night at uh, seven o'clock last night i ate last time and i feel like a million dollars and here's where the energy comes from. Because that's actually the funny thing that you asked that, Mark, that that's the question I get asked a lot. Where the energy come from? Well, it's really simple. The human body, when you go for the 16 hours without food, one of the many benefits, there's many benefits, but one of the benefits, it makes your body more efficient at burning fat. Mm. Okay? Well, all of us have fat on us. It doesn't matter how thin you are, you always have fat on you. The human body, you have to think of it more like a battery than than anything else and food food is not like you know they say food is fuel that's not quite true think of food more like crude oil if i put crude oil in your car engine would it work of course not it has to be processed first to broken down into gas in order to, to for the engine to work well food doesn't give you energy directly it has to be digested broken down by the system before it gives you anything so when you eat at night and the one thing you want to do after eating, the best thing to do is rest after eating, by the way. I eat my meal at night. 
I rest afterwards. My body has a chance to digest all the food, replenish the energy that I use during the day. If I ate a little bit more, it stores the access as fat underneath my skin, by the way. And then remind me, we can talk about sumo wrestlers for a second afterwards, but this is a very good point about the 16 hours. So I store the, and then I wake up in the morning. Here's the funny part. Do you know, are you familiar with the hormone cortisol, the stress hormone? Yes. Okay. Did you know naturally cortisol goes up in the morning? Naturally, matter of fact, it reaches a peak around eight o'clock in the morning because its job is to wake up the system. So what it does actually, it causes the fat cells to release fat into your bloodstream to have energy for the day. So when I wake up in the morning, I don't need coffee, I don't need anything. By the way, I do drink one coffee later in the day because I like it, not because I need to wake up. And that's where the energy comes from, from the stored fat that you have because when you eat small meals throughout the day, the body cannot access the fat, so you're relying on sugar. The sugar runs out pretty fast. That is why when you have breakfast, a lot of times you're hungry by lunch. Where for me, I'm not hungry. And by the way, when, when uh, the way I discovered the eating once a day was purely accidental. I was following the rules I, I just told you. And my rule is don't eat more than twice. I didn't say eat twice, I said no more than twice. And I was eating uh, uh, lunch and dinner. I found over time, because I kept asking the question, am I hungry? That I wasn't as hungry for lunch. So I kept making my lunch smaller and smaller and smaller. And then one day I'm like, why am I eating? So like, let's see what happens if I skip it. I skipped it and I never went back. Wow. I, now I had energy to spare. I mean, I have so much energy. Because in the reason, by the way, you have extra energy is not just because your body became more efficient at burning fat. Digestion requires a lot of energy. So if you're eating constantly during the day, even if you're small amounts, well, part of your energy that runs your body has to go towards digestion. So that's why after lunch, you feel more sluggish. Well, I don't eat lunch, so I'm never sluggish. Hmm. The other benefit of the 24 hours without food is your immune system. I haven't gotten sick close to 10 years now. And trust me, I go out of my way to test it because I have two kids. Whenever they're sick, I would drink from their cups, I would kiss them, and nothing would happen to me. And the reason is when your body's not digesting, like when you get exposed to viruses during the day, right, when you're outside, well, if you constantly, your body constantly have to digest food, well, immune system and digestion are the two systems that require the most energy. So if you're digesting food constantly, well, guess what? your immune system is slightly weaker, which means you're more susceptible of getting sick. Where my system, because I don't eat during the day, I'm never susceptible. And by the way, I'm not saying I never eat. Yes, there's exception. Once in a while, my wife will call me up and she will ask me, hey, you wanna go out for lunch? I will go for lunch. I'm not saying that you don't have to be perfect, but as a habit, I normally don't eat unless, you know, there's a party, there's an event. You know, you can't be, perfectionism is not good anyway. So to me, the 24 hours, so in the way I would do it, if it's something you want to try is do it gradually. Like most of my clients eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't tell them skip breakfast. What I tell them is push breakfast a little later and make it a little lighter. Do that for a week or two, then push a little bit later. Then eventually you eliminate it and then you have lunch and dinner. My clients actually, I would say, I would say 40 or 50% of them end up eating like me once a day. Although I never told them to eat once a day, they do it by choice. And I'm telling you, it's the benefits. I mean, in my book, actually, I have a whole section just on the benefits 
of prolonged periods. Actually, I call it prolonged periods without food. This way, because when people here don't eat for 24 hours, sometimes it's scary. Wow, I mean, this is so detailed. And again, I love how the theme is we're not saying no more breakfast. We're not saying no more this, no more that. We're saying gradually push it, gradually make it smaller, and then you make the choice and build up from there. Uh, Fat No More, which is Stavros's book. We will be throwing that in the description along with other links. I know you wanted to talk about sumo wrestlers. I don't know what oh. this conversation is going to okay. entail, but let's definitely jump into that. Then we'll get into links to throw in the description. Perfect. Sumo wrestlers, the fat, obviously, but did you know they're extremely healthy? People don't realize they have very low incidence of strokes and heart attacks. So how can they be? How can they be so overweight and yet so healthy? Here's why. When they did uh, MRIs on sumo wrestlers, they discovered like if you do an MRI and a, a typical overweight person, you'll find fat underneath the skin and inside the organs. Well, the fat inside the organs is what causes a lot of the health issues that we have. Sumo wrestlers, on the other hand, all their fat is underneath the skin. Their inside organs is as lean as any, any lean person. So the next question they ask, like, wait a minute, how can they do that? Well, come to find out, sumo wrestlers, the way they eat, they have a four-hour window that they eat all their food. And by the way, they overeat and then sleep right after. And they have 20-hour window with no food. And what they discovered is when you overeat in one sitting, the body stores fat differently than if you overeat the exact same food throughout the day. So when you overeat in one sitting, the body stores the energy underneath the skin so it doesn't affect your health. When you overeat by spreading the food throughout the day, the body stores the fat in all different places and that's where a lot of the health issues come in. And that to me, like if you tell me to teach you one eating habit will make the biggest difference in your health would be the 16 hours along with our food. To me, that's like, I, I can't uh, emphasize enough how important that is. And that's why it surprises me a little bit the more nutritionists, I would call them regular nutritionists, are not teaching this. This wow. is, should be fundamental to all nutrition classes. Wow. I, I love that we like took that last, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure we cover the sumo wrestlers. I didn't really know what Stavros was going to say, okay. but wow. Like I, it really makes a lot of sense now. And it's fascinating that they have that type of regimen. And uh, Savro, speaking of regimens, he does have those seven habits, which we did cover in this episode. He has his book, Fat No More, which we already talked about. Uh, what are some of the other places we could go to keep following all the great work you're doing? Yeah, uh, if you follow me on Facebook and Live Your Way Thin, if you go on Facebook, type in Live Your Way Thin, name of my company, uh, you can follow me there because I post videos regularly. I'm also, if you go to my website, actually, you'll be able to find all the links there, the uh, liveyourwaythin.com. And they actually have all the links available that you can, you know, you can follow my live. I also have a YouTube channel that again, I do one video per week with different subjects on health and weight loss and some of the psychology too, because I'm, well, psychology plays a huge role, you know? Oh, and I want to throw in one more quick thing if I yeah, can. Definitely. One of the biggest fears of people not eating for prolonged periods or skipping a meal is that the metabolic rate is gonna slow down. I don't know if you've ever heard that. You know, if you skip a meal, the metabolic rate is gonna slow down, it'll make it harder for you to lose weight. Actually, that is not true. It would take over 72 to 84 hours with no food at all 
before your metabolic rate begins to slow down. As a matter of fact, the first uh, day or two of no eating, your metabolic rate goes up slightly. It's very small. It's like three or four percent. It's very small, but there's no down. And that's one fear that I try to uh, explain to people not to have, that nothing bad happens to you if you miss a meal or two or three, you know? But I want to make that point because I know that's one fear that a lot of people have when they go for prolonged periods without food. And just like you might go through some discomforts too. Like, you know, like, do you drink coffee, Mark? No, I'm not a coffee guy. Oh, well, if you drink coffee and you don't drink it, you get a headache. I know a lot of people that drink coffee, if you skip it, you get a headache. It's like a withdrawal. Same thing happens a lot of times when you skip a habitual meal, the body goes to withdraw. So sometimes people say, oh, I get a headache if I go hungry. Well, trust me, headache is not a sign of true hunger. Headache is a sign of a withdrawal. Just like if you don't drink your typical coffee and you get a headache, it's the same thing. So by going slower, you might avoid some of those discomforts. Yeah, I really like those insights. I mean, we've been sprinkling great stuff throughout this episode. Make sure you check out Stavros and all of his work. All those links, as mentioned, will be in the show notes. Stavros, thank you so much for joining us on Breakthrough Success. It was a pleasure to have you here today. Mark, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure too.